We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning, and over the last couple weeks we've been looking at some passages that talk about the biblical themes related to God's heart for justice, and actually help us develop an appropriate view of what that entails. We know that justice and righteousness are key characteristics of shared Christian life in the kingdom of God because they are at the heart of what God is and cares about. And a few weeks ago, we looked at some of the prophets in the Old Testament. We looked at Amos and Micah, and it sort of revealed the sin of God's people and the simultaneous vision of the path that God desires. See, it's not just about exposing the things that we do wrong, but God also wants to point us in the direction that he would have for us. And then the last two weeks, we've looked in the Gospels, one in Matthew and one in Luke, about seeing and growing our understanding of how God is showing us the proper way to live so that we don't repeat the past mistakes that affect us and the communities that we're a part of. And now here when we get to Acts, we see the church actually take action to correct the results of sin. They actually act to address the underlying causes that created the problem in the first place. You and I know that forming a Christ-centered community is not easy. Getting a a diverse group of people together in the same room, only Christ could somehow make that happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's almost no room in America that would have such a diverse group of people with different views and beliefs and understandings of the world and who would actually commit to sticking together instead of running away. It is even harder to form a Christ-centered community when people are unaccustomed to engaging with people of different backgrounds and languages and culture. And Acts chapter 6 in particular is a snapshot of one way the church navigated these turbulent waters. And I think it provides some insight for our context today. This growing group of believers in Jesus, after Jesus ascended back to heaven, they were left here on earth to figure out how to be and do what Jesus had said for them. And that, as we know in our own lives, is sometimes easier said than done. These people were coming together and they had to learn how to love people radically different from themselves. There were all sorts of issues that popped up right away. There were communication issues and language issues and cultural issues. See, we like to think about the glorious moments at the very beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 2, when it says the Holy Spirit was poured out on people and it came as a sound, like a sound of rushing wind and it looked like tongues of fire were coming from people's heads as the Holy Spirit was inspiring and motivating people. And that is such an image that just inspires us today. We're like, man, I want to be on fire just like that. And then later in chapter 2, we read about how the church, they just came together, and it says they were one, and they were sharing all their stuff, and they shared meals together. They had the Lord's Supper together. Nobody had any need 
because all the needs were met. And we're like, yeah, that's the kind of community I want to be a part of. And sometimes people like to stop at Acts 2. We like that last verse that says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And we're like, yeah. That's the kind of power community I want to be a part of. And then the very next chapter, Peter goes and he preaches this powerful sermon and people are just getting saved left and right. And the end of it says, and 3,000 people were added to their fellowship because of what was heard. And what was heard was the good news in their own language because people were there from all over the world. You see, Jews had experienced so much um, persecution and had been exiled. Some of it was their own fault, but they had been persecuted by religious authorities and by some of the cultural factors. And so they had been scattered throughout the world, the known world at that time, and yet Jerusalem was still kind of a hub where people would come back to because that's where the temple was. And some of these brothers and sisters, fellow Jewish people, now spoke different languages. They had even adopted different customs and some of the cultural practices of these other countries. Let me just read a quick little list. I don't have it on the screen, but these are just some of the people that were there that day. It says, we hear, we hear them speaking in our own native language. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamph- Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our, in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. So people are getting saved They're believing in Jesus Christ because they're hearing the good news in their own language. And now suddenly, all those people are becoming part of this church. You can imagine the amazement and the utter confusion of everyone coming together now in one space. When Acts 6 happens, or the story is recorded... There were two primary groups at this time in the church in Jerusalem. There was one group of Jewish Christians who spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. They were considered the dominant group or the native-born Israel folks that had stayed there or grown up there. And then there was another group that spoke Greek, and they were probably Jewish converts from other lands who came to believe in Jesus on that day of Pentecost. They spoke other languages. They even adopted some of the cultural practices. And so they probably appeared very different to some of their brothers and sisters who had stayed in Jerusalem. The 12 apostles had spent time with Jesus and they received their charge to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And as the church grew daily, people were like, yeah, things are going great until they weren't until inevitable conflicts arose. So if you have a Bible with you, or you pull it up on your phone, you can turn to Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read the first seven verses for us this morning. But as the believers 
rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, those twelve apostles, called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. They were taking Jesus' words to them pretty, seriously is not the right word, pretty literally at this moment. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea. And they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. Also a good list of baby names if you're looking for some new baby names. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Sometimes these seven are called the first church deacons. To understand the problem that was happening here, we know that there were cultural differences. But it's also important for us to understand why it was so critical for this group of believers to care for widows in their particular community. We know that when we read the Bible, the Bible directly connects acting justly to acting on behalf of the poor and the powerless and actually advocating for their benefit, that we actually have to do actions that promote the welfare of the people who have the least amount of power or the least amount of ability to actually change the systems and structures. Widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor, that's actually the four categories that the Bible often puts together when you read about it. Sometimes it's called the quartet of vulnerable persons, but it's not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's meant to represent all the poor and powerless, the people that Jesus actually called the least of these, that these are the people that are most in need of our care and help. And in many farming societies within the Bible, these groups were actually powerless. They did not have the ability to survive on their own. They were dependent on the community for help to survive, and they lived each day on the edge They were at risk of starvation. That's why the Old Testament instituted so many laws to help people, like those laws about gleaning or leaving the corners of your fields unharvested so people could actually take what they needed, especially the poor. And there were other laws put into place as well. And every time that Israel in the Old Testament followed God and followed God's laws in this, 
usually blessing resulted. And every time they didn't follow or were faithless, bad things usually happened to them, including being sent into exile. Some of the very people who were exiled and spread out throughout the world were probably now their descendants here on that day as a result of the previous failures. And now they were hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And amid all of this wonderful moment, there was this inequity that was happening. How we treat the vulnerable actually determines how just a society is considered by God. Here in Acts 6, the growing group of disciples believed they were a healthy, functioning, interconnected body of Christ. And in many ways they were. But one of the things that they did not take into account in the midst of making disciples and fulfilling Jesus' commission to preach the good news and to welcome new people into the family of God, one of the issues was they could not see what their eyes did not reveal to them. In other words, they couldn't see the injustice that was happening right in their midst. They were so focused on the good things that were happening, it made them blind to the not good things. These two groups of widows, the Greek-speaking widows and the Hebrew-speaking widows or Aramaic-speaking widows, they had very different experiences when they went to the food line to be cared for. Their perspectives were radically different. And it finally took someone standing up and saying, this ain't right. What's happening? You're overlooking one whole group of people here. The Greek-speaking widows were not the dominant group. They were considered the minority. And their status as outsiders was felt strongly in this experience, this discrimination. One of the problems in this particular scenario that's, or the story that's shared is that there wasn't adequate representation for the people that weren't of the dominant group. They didn't have anyone to speak on their behalf at this point and that they were not being cared for. This was a major blind spot of some of the early church leadership and the disparity in care was not seen until someone bothered to speak up and say, we cannot let this continue. This was not a resource problem. In Acts 4, it actually says there was no one in need because everyone's needs were being provided for. This had nothing to do with even amount of food. There was plenty of food to be distributed. This was a justice and equity problem. It was not being adequately or equitably distributed out. It was preferring one group over another group, and they couldn't see it at the first bit. But here is where we see actually, I think, a maturity in how they responded. And I see this as a direct result of the leading and teaching of the Holy Spirit in this group. Because no matter how skilled the first apostles were, no matter how much Jesus had taught them, they could not anticipate everything. And so they had to rely on the leading of the Holy Spirit to help them. How did this church respond? Well, we read about it. But one of the things that I noticed about this particular group when they were trying to make this situation right 
when they were faced with this conflict, they didn't ignore it. They didn't run away from it. And they didn't try to demonize the people who were expressing concerns. In other words, they were willing to listen to the suffering of others. Sometimes listening to the suffering and the perspective of another is one of the most important things that we can do. And when the first group of disciples were listening, they didn't become defensive or dictatorial or try to deny it. Oh, there's nothing wrong. Your widows are just fine. They didn't say, well, all people need food. They didn't offer unhelpful thoughts. They didn't try to gaslight the other side. They didn't say, well, how do you know you really need help? We don't see a problem. Maybe you're just imagining this. And they didn't ask questions that didn't matter, like trying to say, well, why are you a widow in the first place? Why don't you learn the language, people? Why don't you get rid of those Greek cultural influences and then we'll help you? They didn't do any of that stuff. Those are the things we might see today. They took the harmed group at their word that all was not well. The disciples quickly realized that their life together as a group would involve the care of the whole group. They understood that if they were to be as one, just like Jesus had commanded them, that if one suffer, all suffer. That if one is in need, then actually everyone is in need in this moment. And it's up to the entire group to make things right. You know, all those images of the body. Your suffering becomes my suffering. And this is also where we see their growing humility and maturity as a church, a young church. They still didn't even know what they didn't know at this point. But they're led by the Holy Spirit to actually do justice. What do they do? They pray, and it says the Holy Spirit leads them to appoint capable leaders to address the injustice and to make it right. That's part of what justice is. It's both making things right, addressing the immediate cause for concern, but also advocating so that it doesn't happen again. How can we fix things or improve things so that what created this problem in the first place doesn't happen? It tells you something about this group of early Christians even though all of the existing leaders before this point were from Israel, from Jerusalem and the surrounding area, they all spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. They were all of the dominant group. But it says something that who do, who do they appoint into this group to speak up and care for this neglected group? They appoint seven people. All of them are Greek-speaking individuals. They actually elevate the non-dominant group to positions of real leadership so that they can advocate for the poor and the powerless. They came from within the group who were wounded. Sharing power is never easy. And sometimes giving power away can be a scary thing. 
the apostles had a particular job to do that Jesus himself had given them to do. But he also said, you are the ones who are responsible for caring for the least of these. And this was the solution that they came up with. Empowering seven spirit-filled people to allow the injustice to be reconciled. And this actually becomes a model for the church in how we can share power appropriately today and how we can respond to inequity and injustice. When this community realized their blindness, they didn't keep their eyes closed. They opened them and they changed their ways. In many ways, it's that simple. And yet we know that it's not that simple. This community of believers of many cultures and languages would actually become an important bridge for the gospel to go forth to the ends of the earth. All these people that were hearing the good news and being transformed by it, where do you think they went? They went out. They went, many of them went back to some of their areas as well. The gospel continued to go forth. The whole rest of the book of Acts also describes all the missionary journeys that happening. But the Spirit was already priming the pump for the good news to spread. That God had this massive idea that was going to encompass all peoples on earth, not just one little area or one little city or people that went to one little temple. No matter how important it was, God had a much bigger vision than that. Those are just two of the things that I thought of. But I like to occasionally crowdsource us. What are some of the things that you noticed about how this church responded to the problem? What are, you, what are your, some things that you think could really help us, not just our church, but each of us in our day today? and how we approach problems. I probably should have said this ahead of time that I was going to be doing this. Sometimes I, I forget. Yeah. Uh, the leaders who are in charge don't have to just take on more tasks and, you know, do solve everybody's problems. They can mm-hmm. Delegation is important. We, see, we saw that in the Old Testament when Moses kept trying to do everything. And finally, someone had to call it out to his face and say, what you're doing is not good. You need other people. Yeah, that's a good thing. What else? What else can we learn from their example? They gave them authority to, to figure it out. And they figured as people who were part of the group that had been discriminated against, they probably were best situated to help solve the problem. And that phrase, it says in verse 3, who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Mm-hmm. I think that um, 
I was reading from the New Living Translation. I think one of the other uh, translations that I read said, use the word reputation. You know, you, you have a good sense of like people that seem trustworthy or who just, I mean, I know people that it's like, they're just wise as all get out. And then you know people that are the exact opposite of that. Like they can't make a right step. So they, cho- they do choose capable leaders in this case. Yeah. Trusted in that, in that community. Trusted in that community, yeah. Yeah, yeah, those 12 must have, uh, it's like they had been in relationship with people. And that's what we forget, that they had, they had been spending time together. Like they, when you spend more time with people, when you share meals together, when you break bread when you share what you have, like you really get to know people and know what's in their heart. Yeah, they were looking, yeah. They did, you know, they kind of had an, almost like an internal focus group <laughs> to figure out, okay, who are the best choices? And they themselves relied on praying to the Holy Spirit and saying, help us, help us make the right decision here. Any. Some, yep. I come back to what I've said at the very beginning, forming a Christ-centered community where there's a mutuality is so difficult to do because we get, we're wounded. We make mistakes. Sometimes people want to leave. Anything else? And there's a lot that, that goes into listening. We think, oh, listening, oh, yeah, I, I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. No, are we, actually, are we actually listening or are we just waiting for what we're going to say next, you know? Or are we trying to fix things? Or like, well, okay, sometimes, I don't know if I, well, I'll say it. Um, I can always tell her later. Sometimes, sometimes when uh, a spouse will just say, I just need you to hear me. I don't need you to fix anything. Maybe that's what we need to do as well. <laughs> Anything else before we wrap up? I was just thinking about you know, what some of you guys are saying. Like, um, like sometimes you have to be able to listen to somebody else's bad news before they're ready to listen to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody has a perspective. You know, and your experience is your experience. And no one can tell you how you're supposed to feel about that. I mean, from one side, food was being distributed out. You're like, look at this wonderful program, this church program, isn't it such a success? And from the other side, they're like, yeah, but we have this whole group of people that is not getting their fair share. What? Oh, they're they're still getting food, they're fine. No, they they didn't do any of that. Anything else for this morning?
Mm -hmm. Because they faced the issue and they did it in the right way, the word of God spread and the good news went forth. It can be humbling to, to tell somebody, here's where I am, where I've been, what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. And it's just a humbling thing. Mm-hmm. Here. When I read that before, I, you know, I chuckled just like some of you chuckled when, when they said, we're supposed to do this instead of running a food program. You know, and it could, at one level can sound kind of uh, arrogant, but in, but in the minds of the 12, they had this specific mission that God had given them. So they could have said, well, you know, just figure it out. But they didn't just do that. They said, okay, we, we actually need people to be in control of this to make sure that it actually doesn't happen again. And then they went forth. Serving God in ways that work towards a more caring and just world takes time. It takes work. It takes patience. And most importantly, it takes everyone. They involve the community in this process. And as you think about your part in these acts of service, acting or doing justly, what is the Holy Spirit communicating to you in this moment, in this season of your life? What acts of justice is the Spirit prompting in you to lead you to help in making things right? It might not be in some big dramatic way. It might be the thing that's right next to you or right in front of you. It's always a scary thing to listen to the Spirit of God because it can lead you to places where you feel overwhelmed, you feel uncomfortable, and you feel unqualified. But if it is the leading of the Holy Spirit, and if it is confirmed by your sisters and brothers of faith, then that's all the qualification you need to act. For this very first church, they overcame this example of inequity and injustice in their system, problems that they weren't even aware of at first. And working together, they came and crossed borders and cultures and languages and customs. They allowed themselves to be led by the Holy Spirit so that they could love and serve one another to the best of their ability. And this, my sisters and brothers, is our call as well. It's the timeless call of God upon his people as the body of Christ. My prayer for us today is that God would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts to respond as we too are led by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray this morning and then we're going to prepare to come to the table, all right? Father God, we thank you for your word which reveals yourself and your way to us and to this amazing creation God, thank you for the example that you provided through that first church who amidst growth and joyfulness also experienced growing pains and struggles. And some were overlooked in the process. We thank you that they responded. They consulted you. And they act to change the system. 
God, will you help each of us to do our part as well? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.